0: an idea the avengers initiative
1: i do this all day i'm a superhero i've come to bargain i love you 3000 that's my secret captain i'm always angry you should have gone for the head and i
2: Sam, why is Gamora? iron man we
1: are good.
0: Welcome to a brand new episode of Den of Geek Presents Marvel Standom, where we try to give you the deepest possible dives on all the things going on in the MCU, Marvel Comics and beyond. I'm your host, Den of Geek News and Features Editor Kirsten Howard, and joining me today are Den of Geek TV Editor Alec Bajalad and Den of Geek contributor and terrific pop culture writer Joe George. This episode of Marvel Standom is powered by eBay. More on them in a bit, but first, let's dig into the first episode of Loki season two, Ouroboros, where Loki ends up time slipping through the past, present, and the future of the TVA while trying to catch Mobius up on his deadly encounter with He Who Remains. I'll start with you, Alec. What did you think of this first episode?
1: I quite liked it. So we're in that position now where I believe we've all seen a bit more than uh, the average Disney Plus watcher has at this point. So this was actually uh, my, my least favorite of the screener bunch that we got. However, what a, what a relief to be back in Loki world after what we've seen (laughs) in in Marvel for uh, the past few efforts. Uh, I think this first episode really proves that this show is just a cut above the usual uh, Marvel fare. Having two honest-to-goodness movie stars at the center of it helps. The set design is so goofy and fun. and There's just a lot to like. Uh, Maybe aside from a bit of the sci-fi mumbo-jumbo that I'm sure we'll talk about later that I found to be unusually confusing for this show, but... Generally speaking, this is this is a thumbs up.
0: How about you, Joe? What did you think of episode one?
2: Yeah, I'm I'm with Alec on that. I I think I was cooler on the first season of Loki when it was coming out. And I don't know. I mean, our our disappointment with a lot of phase four entries is well documented. And I agree with Alec. It was like, yeah, it's good to be back in Loki World. There, there is there is something to it. And and I think I'm going to be picking nits throughout this episode of Standom, but overall, I want to make clear, I think a lot of it really works. It's a lot of fun. It's very energetic. And I know several people who don't get paid to talk about Marvel, who have fallen off in (laughs) phase four, who are very excited to come back for Loki. And I think they're going to be satisfied. So, yeah, good stuff.
0: (laughs) Um, I really liked it. I oh, good! Was, uh, I thought it was excellent, um, excellent first episode uh, Very little about it makes sense uh, But that, I was fine with that um, I was really just sort of um, drawn along on the um, Just the atmosphere and the performances alone Had me thinking, well, I, I don't really mind I'm fine with it, really I, I could just watch um, Owen Wilson, Tom Hiddleston and Ki Guan just Just hanging out they don't even have to be in the MCU. If they were just having coffee together, I'd probably watch it every week for an hour. That's that's fine with me. That's that's good enough, honestly. This episode saw the introduction of Kihoi Kwan's Ouroboros, uh, or OB, as they call him. Um, he seems like a real delight in this episode um, and just a, a great addition to Loki overall. Um, how did you find him in episode one, Alec?
1: He was literally perfect. Um, it's just pitch perfect. Uh, I thought he was by like leaps and bounds the best new addition to the show. Um, I, I think like they it feels fairly clear that they they cast this character pretty much exactly for him, like it fits him perfectly. Uh, the loopy sense of humor really works. Uh, I, my actual lol on this episode comes <laughs> when they do the uh. The whole, like, uh, I didn't know you could do that in the TVA routine twice, like in the past and present. <laughs> um, just a great energy. Uh, this, and I didn't even realize until we logged on today that they actually, this episode is called Uroboros. <laughs> Um, Which seems like a pretty fitting for how much he dominates this, because I, I had no idea it was even called that. Um, again, <laughs> I don't want this to be my new thing, but.
0: <laughs> um i think that kwan is uh, really incredible in this role he does seem like just just a grown-up version of data from the goonies like he <laughs> just just imagine this is what happened to him when he got older or this is a variant that got pulled off the timeline uh, <laughs> from the goonies universe um so it, I, yeah i think it's an excellent um excellent casting uh, excellent choice and obviously we've seen uh we've seen him meddling with the multiverse in um everything everywhere all at once so we're kind of he seems to just kind of slide right into this cast perfectly on that note wilson and hiddleston seem to have really found um a kind of camaraderie and like a banter between them that just seems so natural now um even more than it does in the first season do you feel like they're um They've amped it up also do, do you like more Mobius? Do would you would you need more? Um, and do you feel like, or do you feel like he's doing too much now? Because there are a lot of little Mobius moments in this. There's when he draws the sort of skin on the monitor or whatever. There's there's also this. Um, the moments where he's going back and forth with Ob, and he's talking about jet skis and stuff like that. So they try to pack quite a few Owen Wilson moments into this first one. But I think that his relationship with um, with Loki it was the real star of the first season, anyway. Um, even more so than Sylvia, I would say. So it seems to work for me. How about you guys?
2: Yeah, I think I think Alec hit the nail on the head when he said, you know, it's it's honest to goodness movie stars and that one of the things I think is really canny about this show is that the casting goes a long way to both bolstering the, the production design and getting us past things that wouldn't work otherwise. You know, um, I don't know if we'll have time to talk about it, but even just all of the side characters are, are all instantly recognizable character actors that just gives you that extra little bit of mileage but uh specifically specifically about mobius um yeah if anybody else was talking this much about jet skis i think i would be so annoyed but it it works in Owen Wilson's drawl, and kind of like Hikikomori, he, he, he brings like all of this baggage and sort of good feelings for us old people that like him from all of these other roles. You know, he kind of comes back in there, and he is just kind of playing Owen Wilson. But darn it, I
1: like watching Owen Wilson, so it, it works. Yeah, like this is a show that has no fewer than three really high profile actors now that are that have just like a proven track record of I said movie star, which I think is accurate, but you could even just like reduce it to saying that they're comfortable on screen. They know what they're doing. Um, I feel like that comfort comes through and they're just kind of having fun. Uh, and Owen Wilson in particular is just supernaturally charming. Um, like that's, that, that that kind of special relationship that he has with Hiddleston's Loki, I'd like to think that like I could just develop with Owen Wilson in like ten minutes. <laughs> <laughs> like we could just have that sparkling chemistry. Um, he's just that good. Uh, but yeah, honestly, like I I really think that's what sets the show apart like that's what makes this feel more kind of like the special marvel than the uh, assembly line marvel there are some real likable pros involved both on screen and, and behind the screen because i think the writing's uh, quite nice as well
0: we also met uh, x5 who i think is a hunter and for a moment in episode one i was just kind of like I don't remember this guy from the first season <laughs> at all. How many lines did he have? Because he's not stuck out as memorable. And I had to look it up and I was like, no, he wasn't even in the first season. He's brand new, but the way he was introduced was like, he's been there the whole time and that yeah. we just didn't notice him. Um, yeah. I can't remember the actor's name, but he's a, he's a rapper and he's in Blind Blindspotting. Yeah. Um, and he just sort of sinks into this so easily. He's so slimy, such a little sort of that mummy's boy you know vibe that just re- instantly pisses you off. He seems like he'll be, um, an interesting antagonist, not on any kind of like complex level, but just kind of like he's a bit of a git and he's uh, <laughs> he's, he's giving our, our guys a hard time, so we hate him.
2: Yeah, it's Raphael Cassell, is the, oh, yeah. the name of the, the actor, and boy, when you get you, they've got that one scene where it's Raphael Cassell in the room, uh, Owen Wilson in the room, and Kate Dickey, who plays the the his mother type. That's <laughs> yeah. Those are three great schnauzes. This is a really good nose,
1: distinctive nose show. <laughs> <laughs> I, I hadn't looked up who played uh, all of the various non-Renslayer judges, but that's like another like really just like eclectic crew of yeah. like recognizable faces um, and in like diverse body types. It's yeah. just like the casting department on the show is really putting in work.
0: And the MVP, obviously the, uh, the judge who was asleep the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Wasn't remotely bothered.
1: <laughs> and
2: that really just sells all of the nonsense parts in the, in the show where I kind of don't care what they're saying. It's just so much fun to look at. And so, so great to see all of these different types of people, which be fitting a area that's supposed to be all time and all realities, of course you're gonna get a bunch of distinctive looking people. That's that's just so great, that's brilliant.
0: Before we continue, it's time to share this message powered by our sponsor, eBay. eBay is the premier destination for collecting comics both old and new. Whether it's that highly sought after iconic comic or an obscure niche that speaks directly to you, odds are you'll certainly find it on eBay. Here's a list of comics that are must-haves for any fan of Loki. Avengers 1. Although Marvel's Loki made his debut a year earlier in Journey Into Mystery 85, the Trickster God established himself as a major baddie in Avengers 1, the first appearance of Earth's Mightiest Heroes. As in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, Loki played a key role in assembling the Avengers, here because he gains control of the Hulk and sends him on a rampage. The story by Jack Kirby and Stan Lee doesn't offer much in the way of the duplicitous charm that Tom Hiddleston brought to the character. But when Iron Man, Thor, Ant-Man and the Wasp join the Hulk against Loki, nobody wants depth. We just want to see glorious superhero action. And that's exactly what Kirby delivers in this early Marvel classic. The New Mutants Special Edition 1. Loki may be an unrepentant liar, but even he can't avoid the truth that Storm is the most compelling hero in the Marvel Universe. So it's no surprise that he would do everything in his power to win her over, pulling Marvel's mighty mutants into a battle in Asgard. As the title suggests, it's the next class of Professor Xavier's school who takes center stage in the new Mutant Special Edition, with the team still in its best lineup, including Cannonball, Sunspot, Mirage, Magic, Wolfsbane, Cypher, and Warlock. Thanks to Loki's interference, the young superheroes must face the gods of Asgard, an encounter that changes them forever. The story comes courtesy of legendary X-Men writer Chris Claremont and artist Art Adams, in one of his earliest takes on the Mutants. With this all-star creative team, New Mutants Special Edition is one of the best examples of the threat that Loki poses to the entire Marvel Universe. Loki One. Traditionally, supervillains play supporting roles in comic books. But with a character as complex as Loki, it was only a matter of time before he got to carry his own book. Fittingly, Loki's first solo miniseries begins with him finally achieving his greatest desire, disposing of Odin, defeating Thor, and designating himself Lord of Asgard. But the trickster finds himself troubled with the need to rule instead of fool, a task made more difficult by the flood of memories that trouble the new Asgardian king. Brought into a family to which he never truly belonged, Loki recalls the loss of his home and the jealousy he feels towards his brother Thor. Robert Ribbick gives the story an epic feel, washing the story in moody watercolors and varying speech with stylized and common fonts, capturing the titanic battle within and without the book's anti-hero. Thor 364 The penultimate episode of Loki Season 1 introduced viewers to one of Lofison's most popular variants, Alligator Loki. But comic readers tend to prefer it when Thor joins the animal kingdom, especially at the hands of Loki. A highlight of Walter Simonson's defining run, Thor 364 gives us the best version of Thor's transformations, as Loki changes his brother into a frog. Never to be dissuaded by any challenge, Thor responds to his amphibian shape by finding a way to wield Mjolnir, becoming the mighty Throg. Serving as writer, penciller, and inker, Simonson combined high fantasy and science fiction to make a vision of Asgard that no one but Kirby can match. All sharp angles and action poses, Simonson keeps the stakes of the story high, even when embracing the obvious comedy of the God of Thunder croaking his faux Shakespearean speech. Thor 364 shows readers that Loki is at his most devious when he's being absolutely ridiculous. Young Avengers 1. Loki is the god of tricks, and what greater trick can he pull than becoming a hero? Such is the tension in the second incarnation of the Young Avengers, this time assembled by a teenage Loki. For reasons not immediately apparent, I mean, why would anyone expect a clear answer anyway? Kid Loki recruits Hawkeye, Kate Bishop, Marvel Boy, Hulkling, Wiccan, and Miss America into a team of heroes facing a fantastic foe. Writer Kieran Gillen creates a believable blend of teen talk and cosmic stakes, never forgetting to ground the characters in recognizable emotions, even as they engage in love affairs across the cosmos. Artists Jamie McKelvey and Mike Norton bring a pop art feel to the book, spreading tiny and detailed panels across the page to capture the characters' complicated feelings. Young Avengers 1 grabs the reader's attention and launches them on an exciting adventure with Loki at the helm. Head on over to ebay.com today to start or expand your collection. And now back to the show. Alec, while we were talking about this episode before we came to record today, you had some thoughts on episode one, some immediate reactions. And one of them was that Loki is just Tom Hiddleston now. Um, I'd like you to expand on that because you didn't at the time.
1: (laughs) I'm not going to now. Oh, uh, <laughs> no, i just I, I, first of all i think it's a good thing that he's just tom hiddleston now because tom hiddleston as we've gushed about previously is just a really compelling charming actor i think it's just striking how far this loki variant has gone away from the traditional loki path like every now and again like he'll do something like you, they'll remind him that he was tech, he's a villain <laughs> and and, I, and then like he can do magic. And it's just so weird to see like this, like James Bond figure just suddenly do magic because he just, he just straight up looks and acts like Tom Hiddleston. And he reminds me of his performance um, in uh, the night manager. Mm-hmm. That really good show that like, I think only you and I watched. but yeah, he's just so, he's so mission focused. Um, on like saving the world and he's always wearing like kind of a cool guy outfit just seems like Tom Hiddleston doing like a James Bond thing more so than Loki, which I'm not necessarily mad about. I think some of the attempts to shoot, to remind viewers that like Loki is Loki in this episode and in this season come across as a little bit awkward, but also I think it's telling that it's necessary that they try to keep reminding you like, no, wait, this guy, he's like a Norse God kind of, but like really a nice giant. And like, he did some bad things and then he has green magic. (laughs) Yeah. It just feels like those come out of left field when they do
0: there's also a visual one where they're talking to OB initially and there's like wires or pipes in the background. I don't know whether you saw that, but they come out of Loki's, seem to come out of Loki's head. So they've really kind of tried to build it in. Like you said, I think that the elements of Loki as a mischief maker, as a naughty sort of sarcastic guy uh, uh, missing from this first episode, at least. Um, And perhaps they are just like being blended into the background or, you know, being those edges are being sanded off the character and his hero's journey. But I do miss them a little bit.
2: Yeah, that's a missed opportunity. I think that's that's one of the nits that I want to pick. That's that Hiddleston's very charming to watch. But you're you're right. There's how would you describe this character um, besides handsome and stressed. Uh which is fine. There's always been there's always been that aspect of of Hiddleston's performance of Loki, but you think like you know the the juxtaposition that we get in the Avengers where he's in the middle of giving his big speech and the Hulk smashes him, you know, he's stressed and beat down in at the end of that scene, but only because we got all of the grandiloquent stuff. And I'm not saying he needs to be in stasis as a character, I understand that this variant has gone through different experiences than than the other Loki that we're familiar with. It's just I don't feel like they're replacing it enough. And that's kind of the flip side of this really good casting uh 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 positive that they've casted really well, but they kind of need to because there's not really a character there. Um and, and I have to say. I let my screeners expire, so I have only seen the first episode. And sure. uh, <laughs> Yeah, I know. I know. Um, but so I don't know. Maybe maybe they build on this later. But this first episode and where we are building on from there, um, I don't know. I don't feel like it's a full character.
0: So obviously episode one has a lot of timey-wimey Doctor Who stuff and uh, that we're testing a few brain cells in viewers, but uh, ultimately probably they judge, they shouldn't think too hard about what's going on here. Alec, like earlier you told me that the time travel stuff in Loki, which usually you're really up for um, explaining and get really digging deep into, was in season two just incomprehensible. Do you still feel that way after thinking about it for a bit?
1: I do. Oh yeah, like the, the there was something about uh, season one's approach to the sacred timeline, multiple multiple timelines that made perfect sense in a deranged like uh Rick and Morty kind of way uh, to my pop culture brain. Um, but the just like the central thrust of this episode, I couldn't really get it all. Like I don't know what the temporal loom is. I don't know why Loki needs to prune himself to enjoy the episode. I guess you don't really need to know. I, I do kind of wish that they had explained the, the, the stakes of it all a little bit more or like, cause like once it became Loki self pruning time, I kind of, I didn't, I was just along for the ride. I didn't really know what was going on or why we were doing this. Um, and additionally, like I, Did you guys assume um, at the end of last season when he returns to the TVA and it's all uh, he remains-ified, did you just assume that that was an alternate universe slash timeline? Because I did. I was just a little surprised to find out that uh, Loki was in the past. Oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, I think I I did. It's because they kind of described it as a planet of the apes. Yeah. ending that they wanted to do mm-hmm. and so of course we thought that and I don't think they knew until Loki had started streaming that there was going to be a season two like that decision hadn't been made yet so ending it there was just like okay and that's a fun way to end it like we don't ever have to really explain this so we can explain it with a line later and then now we're back in season two and we have to spend the first episode like basically explaining um why the end of uh, season one happened um but but yeah I, I never at no point did i think oh they're in the past or at least or 400 years in the past or something <laughs> that didn't occur to me <laughs>
2: I don't think it's any worse than your average episode of Star Trek. I mean, it's it's we understand the stakes and whatever else they want to babble around it. Then that's cool. It's set dressing, you know.
0: So the premiere of Loki had uh, quite a few Easter eggs that I think people noticed Um initially uh we've dug up a few um just by re-watching it and sort of playing bits ahead of time uh first of all there's the uh the cha- the temporal loom the chamber door when it opens has an x uh, and a circle in the middle and it's basically like a a very similar version of the Cerebro door design from the X-Men movies. Do we think that this is setting up the X-Men? Because we know that in Deadpool 3, we've heard that Mobius and the TVA are in it. They play a huge part in it. So it would make sense um, that they're sort of dropping those kind of breadcrumbs for that here. And also um, Cerebro is obviously very powerful technology uh, of Prof X's. So if... Uh, He Who Remains managed to get Cerebro, Nick Cerebro from some universe or timeline and use it with the temporal loom. Is that how he created the TVA in the first place? A lot of questions, a lot of really (laughs) nerdy questions because we don't get out much. Joe, I'm coming straight to you on this one because I don't know if Alex even watched the X-Men movies. So I'm just going to go.
2: I want to hear Alec talk about the (laughs) X-Men. I want to hear you. That's... (laughs) If I had my way, we would make you read so many weird X-Men comics. <laughs> but, you know, so uh, a couple things here. First of all, I think it's funny that they're like, Marvel's like, you know, we've got this Jonathan Majors problem. So let's remind them of Bryan Singer. And,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I don't think to be fair, it's the same design as the Singer movies. I think it's the the first class sort of era design oh
2: oh okay. i'm not
0: i'm not 100 on that but okay. i was looking at like about a thousand images of the uh <laughs> you've been looking at cerebro, cerebro doors
2: all day. <laughs> <laughs> okay okay the so, other thing okay. is i'm so sick of the breadcrumbs of the x-men i want the whole loaf <laughs> now this is ridiculous that they've been they've been you know when 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 disney became even more powerful and bought fox at first i was like you know that kevin foggy he's being shrewd not giving us the x-men right out he's gonna save those until he needs them but kevin you need them now it's and, and all of this nonsense of you know oh kamala khan's a mutant and we're gonna have professor x show up but it's not really professor x it's just we're we're You got to give us the X-Men now. I mean, I understand why they're kind of booting it down the road, just money-wise and continuity-wise. How do we all of a sudden introduce there have been mutants running around and this whole team? But I'm getting more annoyed (laughs) by them referencing the X-Men at this point instead of just give us the X-Men.
0: I mean, the strikes have moved. To kick the can down the road a little bit to be fair. I mean, they were in the middle of filming Deadpool 3, right? When the strikes happened. So, Deadpool's
2: they... not a mutant. He doesn't count. That doesn't count.
0: <laughs> I want real MCU. <laughs> Wolverine MCU. is. Wolverine is, Jerry.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But, but <laughs> that's, that's not, that's not going to count. That's a weird time travel tale. And apparently, Taylor Swift is going to be Dazzler now. None <laughs> of that counts. We're, Ignoring all of that. I want proper real X-Men in the MCU, not a wink, wink. Do you remember this? Ryan Reynolds is going to say something so inappropriate and we're all going to go, oh, it's no.
0: Well, I'm looking forward to it, Jerry. You you Grinch. (laughs) 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 Alec, can I just check? Have you seen the X-Men movies?
1: Yes. All Um, all of them. All of them except Apocalypse.
0: That's fair. Apocalypse is fun.
1: Watch Apocalypse. It's fun.
2: Yeah. (laughs) Now, who's the grouch? Apocalypse (laughs) is better than any Deadpool movie.
0: Oh, what? Better than them all. Joe. Much better. I'm to regret inviting you back on this show, Joe. That was a mistake. That was a grave error. Okay, the other uh, Easter eggs that we noticed, m- yeah, there's a Moon Knight one. Casey is listening to the Staying Awake podcast that Stephen Grant was listening to in the Moon Knight premiere. Um, there's also a post credit scene, the first episode one post credit scene that I've noticed in the MCU so far. So pr- pr- making a bit of history in this premiere. Um... Sylvie goes to a branch timeline after Killing He Who Remains, 1982, I believe, and she is in Broxton, Oklahoma, which is a pretty big reference from the pages of Marvel Comics. Joe, can you please explain a little bit more for the people watching uh, why this is significant?
2: I'm going to do all of my comic book explainers directly at Alec. Okay, so (laughs) (laughs) so in what was it two thousand three? The Thor comics did a storyline called Ragnarok that saw everybody die, all of the Thor characters, right? Which is fine because it's they're going to die and they're going to come back. That's already built into Thor comics, even more so than any other superhero who always dies and comes back. But they. In the um, uh, this uh, this series written by J. Michael Straczynski and uh, penciled by Oliver Cupheel, the uh, Asgard begins to manifest in Broxton, Oklahoma, Uh, instead of instead of taking place over in Rainbow Bridge Land, it's just all of a sudden Thor is there back in the form of Dr. Donald Blake, which was his his (laughs) uh, his alter ego Originally, like he it. had this wooden staff and he'd hit it and he'd go from a uh, weak old physician to big handsome Thor. And they started doing that again and lots of fun stuff like Loki messing with people and kind of references back to. um Back to the original Jack Kirby and Stan Lee comics, where they were trying to blend the high fantasy with mundane stuff, except here it's happening in the middle of Oklahoma instead of in New York. And slowly this all unfolds to the point where Broxton becomes the new Asgard and lifts into the air. And then like five years later, somebody, a bad guy, comes through Hella or something and kills every resident. But we're not there yet.
0: Broxton, Oklahoma is also the birthplace of Whitney Frost from the Agent Carter Marvel series that... They refuse to make canon, and uh, I, I don't think this makes it canon in any way. I think it's probably just a little fun reference for the comics. But uh, regardless, uh, Agent Carter is probably one of the best Marvel series they've ever produced, and they probably should give it um, more attention and more support. And just go ahead and make that bad boy canon, please. That would I'd appreciate that. Any final thoughts, Alec Cho?
1: i don't uh i don't think so i laughed at skin uh scrawled (laughs) into the computer that made me laugh Really, (laughs) that was good stuff
2: uh yeah i'm just happy to be back with this show um (laughs)
0: guys (laughs) i'm just happy
2: to be here yeah no it's it's good it's good to have fun marvel again i mean especially coming off a secret invasion where it was such a bummer i think people forget that we actually really love these characters you know, and, and, and this world, and it's, it's good to like it. It's good to like things I like.
0: Amen. Well, that's it for this episode of Marvel Standom. Make sure you're subscribing to us wherever you're watching or listening right now. Don't forget to check out our web home of of denofgeek.com, where you can find all our Marvel coverage. You can also follow us at denofgeekus on Twitter and denofgeek on Instagram. If you need more, all episodes of Marvel Standom are available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks once again to the sponsor of this episode, eBay. Be sure to check them out for your Marvel-related collectibles. This has been Marvel Standem on the Den of Geek Network. Until next time, please be good to each other and stay safe.
2: Thank you for listening to Marvel Standem, produced by Andrew Halley, Kirsten Howard, and Joe George. Hosted by Kirsten Howard. Editing and graphics by Andrew Halley. Social media coordinator, Lee Parham. Additional artwork by Chloe Lewis. Production assistant, Michael R. Music licensed from Soundstripe.com. Marvel Standom is a production of the Den of Geek Network. For more information, visit denofgeek.com.